1 Kings chapter 19. Mike, can you turn on these lights over here, please? Thank you. 1 Kings chapter 19. We were in chapter 19 on Sunday afternoon. And just wanted to finish out this chapter and this thought in the life of Elijah. The Lord did some things in Elijah's life. Elijah, where we left him, uh, was in a place of discouragement. And we've seen over the last couple of few weeks, just looking in uh, chapter 18 and chapter 19, we've seen how Elijah... He lived by faith. He lived by obedience to the Lord, even in hard things in chapter 18. And then we see some events unfold in his life that brought him to a place of discouragement and a place of defeat. And on Sunday, we saw him run into the wilderness because of some circumstance. We saw that he asked the Lord if he could just die. Uh, We saw him take a journey to Mount Horeb where we see the Lord confront Elijah and show him the root of his problems that Elijah was allowing circumstances in his life to become bigger than God was. And he was allowing circumstances to eclipse the face of God instead of looking at the Lord. And where we left Elijah last time, he was standing in the mouth of a cave on Mount Horeb. And I want you to look in verse 13, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter, because I want to talk to you tonight about how God brought Elijah out of this place of discouragement and defeat and what the Lord did next in Elijah's life. And and, and the prayer tonight is that it will be encouraging uh, for you as well as it has been for me. In verse 13, the Bible says, And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now this is the second time the Lord asked him this question. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, throw down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I... Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Here's the second time that Elijah answers the same thing that he did before. But notice this in verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, Nimshi shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of uh, Abel-Maholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. That means behind you or after you. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he departed thence, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with the twelve yoke of oxen before him, and and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him, and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen, and ran after Elijah, and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. 
And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took the yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Now we're not going to spend time talking about much about Elisha and the things that he did here. Uh, we're going to spend more time talking about the last phrase of that verse and he ministered unto him. And we're, we'll, again, be talking about Elijah here. So, like I said, the last time we looked at Elijah on Sunday, he was standing in the mouth of that cave wrapped in a mantle. It seems as though uh, his response to God's question was still sort of one of defeat. He was still maybe a bit discouraged because he answers the Lord the same exact way almost, it seems, as complaining to God about the mess that he is in. And what we find, though, is the, as these events continue to unfold in the closing verses of this chapter, we're allowed to see the fact that God, God was not done with Elijah. Even though he was in a place of discouragement and defeat, maybe he even felt like he was done. He wanted to quit. He wanted to die. God wasn't done with him. And God brings him out of his valley and out of his frustration and out of his discouragement, and he puts him right back into the thick of the battle for the glory of the Lord. What we saw at first was the circumstances that crippled Elijah. In verses 1 through 3, the Bible shows us that Jezebel threatened Elijah, and I'm going to make you just like you where it made the prophets of Baal and it, by tomorrow. And the Bible says when he saw that, he ran for his life. Those were the circumstances that crippled him. But then we looked at the grace of God that carried him in verses 5 through 8. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you or for thee. Here we looked at the grace of God that carried him. God was gentle with Elijah. God was merciful to Elijah. Instead of giving him that, you know, maybe that kick in the pants that we might think that he needed, God met his immediate need. And was gentle with him. Elijah would have been exhausted. Elijah wouldn't have had any energy. And God met that immediate need while still not overlooking the real issue. And God was going to deal with the real issues in just a little while. And then we looked at the confrontation that began to cure Elijah in verses 9 through 12. Where he came to that cave and he lodged there. And the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Here's the confrontation that began to cure him. He said, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is not what I've called you to do. This is not what I, where I want you to stay. Uh, this is not where I want you to be. Why are you here? And that's the first thing that the Lord asked him. But then the Lord shows him something. 
And the Bible tells us that a strong wind came that broke the rocks, but the Lord wasn't in that. There was an earthquake that shook the earth, but the Lord wasn't in that. There was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And I think the Lord was showing Elijah that the Lord doesn't need the big and the powerful and the splashy victory all the time, like what happened on Mount Carmel. God doesn't need that all the time. A still small voice upon the heart of a person is just as powerful when it comes from God. And so God begins to mend the prophet. And that's the title of the message tonight, The Mending of the Prophet. In verses 13 and 14, it tells us that Elijah is again again asked this same question. What doest thou here, Elijah? His response is the same answer. That I've been very jealous for you and the nation of Israel, they've done this and they've forsaken you and, and I'm only left and now they want to kill me too. I think it's interesting that God's question is present tense. What are you doing here, Elijah? But Elijah's answer is past tense. This is what happened. And here's just a a side note and a side principle before we move on. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done for the Lord in the past. The question is, what are you doing for the Lord today? And we talked about that on Sunday, that living for the Lord is a daily matter. Well, this time, as God begins to deal with Elijah in verses 15 and following, we find that God sets the prophet straight, and he helps him to refocus, to refocus on what his will is and how God wants to use him. And there was three things that the Lord will use for getting Elijah back on track. I want to talk to you tonight about the mending of the prophet. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us tonight with your word. As you encouraged Elijah, help us to see our own responsibility as well here tonight to each other in the Lord. And I pray that these principles would um, resonate with us and that we would be quick to apply them in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The first of God's plan in restoring Elijah is, is in verses 15 through 17, and it involved a new commission, a new commission. Verse 15, And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. Here's the new commission. Elijah is told to return to Israel by way of Syria. And there, he is to anoint two kings and a prophet. And he is given an assignment again from the Lord. All these prior chapters we've seen, the word of the Lord came unto Elijah. The word of the Lord came unto Elijah. God was directing his path. God was telling him what to do. And Elijah obeyed. And again, we find that the Lord comes to Elijah and he gives him an assignment, an important assignment from the Lord. And what this tells us is that God was not finished with Elijah's life. 
surely that was just that uh, acknowledgement or that understanding was an encouragement to the man of God. Elijah had messed up, but Elijah wasn't washed up. Amen. He wasn't unusable to the Lord simply because he messed up. What he needed to do was he needed to see what he had done. He needed to confess it before the Lord. And then he simply needed to obey the Lord again. Pick it up and obey the Lord again. Aren't you glad that the Lord is gracious and merciful that way? Because listen, every single day, every single day, we would be unusable to the Lord then. Because we mess up every single day. In one way or another, Sure, Elijah was in a place of discouragement. Elijah was in a place of defeat. He wasn't where the Lord wanted him to be. That's why he asked the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is not what I've called you to do. And yet in his grace and his mercy, God helped him to refocus and he gives him a new job. He wasn't done with his life. And you know what? It would do... Those who've wandered off the Lord's path, it would do them good if they were to come to the place where they came before the Lord, they confessed that their sin before the Lord, and they asked the Lord, Lord, I don't deserve it, but would you use me again to some degree in, 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 to, for your glory? The Lord is faithful. The Lord will forgive. The Lord will use again if we confess it. And forsake it. Elijah needed some revival in his life. Elijah was in a place of despair and defeat. He just wanted to die. He needed some revival in his life. He wasn't close to the Lord in those moments like he had been before. And you know what? Maybe there's a time and maybe it's now in your life where where you used to be closer to the Lord than you are now. Maybe there was a time when you served him more faithfully, but somehow things have gotten off track in your spiritual life. You might even be discouraged. But you know what? If we wallow around in discouragement or depression, a lot of times it drives people to depression. A lot of times that is an indicator of where their heart is, too. If we wallow around in that, we'll never, never be at a point where we can be used of the Lord again. But if we confess it to the Lord and we ask him with a humble heart to take this poor life of mine and use me again, the Lord is going to. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all Listen, the Lord can restore, the Lord can reuse again, because there's always hope for the humble heart, amen? And God still has a plan for our life, even if we mess up. God still has a plan for our life. And if he didn't, we wouldn't be here anymore, amen? We'd already be in heaven. The path to renewal for Elijah was that he had a new commission from the Lord. The Lord said, this is what I want you to do. Just get up and start obeying again. The second involved a new comfort. Look at verse 18. And here the Bible says, Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, 
all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Here we see a new comfort. Twice Elijah had complained that he was all alone in his devotion to the Lord. In verse 10 and in verse 14, he said, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that loves you, God. I'm the only one who's, who's devoted to you, and now they want to take my life too. Two times he had complained that he was all alone in his situation. But God tells him, no, Elijah, you're not alone. There's 7,000 others who've not worshipped Baal. Elijah, you're not alone. There are others who will stand for me and with me. And he's given some hope and he's given some encouragement in this. That no, Elijah, you're not alone. Let me say this to you by way of application tonight. You and I are not alone either. Amen? Whether it's discouragement, whether it's depression, whether it's sin, whether it's anything else that you want to name. Listen, others have gone through it and are going through it. And there's no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. There's nothing new under the sun. Others have been there and done that. And sometimes we might feel like no one understands. No one understands me. No one understands my situation. And there might be some who try to help and we reject that and push it away. Oh, you will never understand. Listen, that's a silly thing to do and a silly thing to say. And you know what? Even if there wasn't any human comfort to be found, the Lord still knows what's going on and what's going in, uh, on in your life. And the Lord still knows what we're going through. And he's ever present to help through anything that life brings. That's why Hebrews 4 in verse 15 is such a powerful verse for us that tells us that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. Who cannot, he's, he's our great high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Or he's not one who can't be touched, rather. In other words, he knows exactly what we've gone through. He knows what we're going through because he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Christ knows the human condition. He's walked the lonely road, amen? And then the very next verse says, in fact, let's just go to it. I'm kind of butchering it. I don't like doing that. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Meaning that he's not above and beyond where he's out of touch. He, he, he doesn't understand. Of course he does. We have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of this fact, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is grace? Well, it's unmerited favor, yes, but it's also divine enabling. Divine enabling. Because Christ understands, come to him and before the throne so that you can find his divine enabling to help in time of need. What a wonderful, powerful passage of Scripture. That even if there's no human comfort to be found, Christ knows. The problem is, 
we usually forget to come to him. We usually forget to come to him, to really come to him for the help. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, The Lord is our refuge. The Lord is our strength. He is, a, he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. Present. Present. Think about that. A present help. Right here, up here. Look at Psalm 145. Turn over there. Psalm 145. Psalm 145, and look with me in verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Look at those imperatives there. The Lord is going to. He will do these. Verse 20, the Lord preserveth all them that love him. Now notice, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, that call upon him in truth. That's the condition. Call upon the Lord in truth. He knows the heart. He knows the will. He knows what's going on inside of your head. And you call on the Lord with a humble heart in truth. The response is that the Lord will hear the Lord will save. The Lord will fulfill the desire. What I'm saying is, the Lord's not the problem. We're the problem so often. When we can't find comfort, when we're in places of discouragement and we hang out there, the Lord is not the problem. I'm the problem. Because that's not where the Lord wants me to be. That's not where the Lord wants me to stay. And if someone is con constantly struggling, someone just can't seem to get it together, and they're up and then they're down, and they're up and then they're down, and then they're down and down and down for long periods of time, that is not the Lord's will, number one. Number two, it's not that you can't find your way out. It's that you won't. Because the Lord's already made some promises. So many times that's the root of the problem. And we, we talk about physical things. Elijah was exhausted. Elijah had no energy. Certainly those physical things affect us. But listen, God is still greater than physical things. Some people talk about, well, my depression, it's related to these physical problems and so on. God is still greater than physical things. Not that they don't have any bearing. Certainly they do, but God's just bigger. Amen. The question is, are we really seeking, really seeking his strength? That's the question. In Elijah's case, the Lord wanted to get him back on track and in focus, and it involved some new comfort. Listen, Elijah, you're not alone. You need to know this. You need to remember this. You're looking at and believing things that aren't true. Elijah thought these things were true, but they weren't true. And so often we do the same thing. We believe lies that we tell ourselves. And they're not true. And we need to get back to 
seeking after his strength. The third is in verses 19 through 21. And really the first part of verse 19. Go back to our text in 1 Kings chapter 19. And the third is that it involved a new companion. A new commission. He gave him something to do. New comfort. You're not alone. And then thirdly, a new companion. In verse 19, the Bible says, So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with the oxen. In the end of verse 21, the Bible says that Elisha went after Elijah and he ministered unto him. Do you remember back in the beginning of this chapter when Elijah went out into the wilderness? The Bible tells us in verse 3 that he left his servant behind in Beersheba, and he went alone. He was all alone. That wasn't very good for Elijah, to be all alone. And God, in order to help restore Elijah, brought a new companion into his life. The man's name was Elisha. Elisha was to become a companion to Elijah, and he would eventually take Elijah's place when Elijah's ministry was ended. And I really like the concluding words of the chapter that says, Elisha ministered unto him. That word minister, it means to wait on. It means to serve. It means to contribute to. In other words, Elisha served Elijah. Elisha contributed to Elijah. Think about this. Elisha contributed good to Elijah's life. God knew that the burdens Elijah carried were too heavy for him to bear alone. And so God gave him a confidant. God gave him a friend, somebody who would walk the road with him. Somebody who would be beside him through those valleys and those trials, through those difficulties. God gave him somebody to be a help and a blessing, a friend. Notice that God told Elijah to meet three different people. Remember back in verses 15 and 16? Two kings and one prophet. Hazael and Jehu. Those were the first ones. Elisha was the last one, the third one. But I want you to notice that God allowed or made Elijah to meet Elisha first. Elisha was the first one. God puts this man into the prophet's life to help him along the way. The Lord knows we need that. And let me say this to you, friends. We all need that kind of personal ministry from time to time. We all need it. And how some of you have been that to me. I appreciate that very much. Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Basically, what people like to do so often is when in times of discouragement or whatever, they want to cut themselves off from other people. You ever felt like that? I'm going to go hide. I'm going to go hide not just in my house, but I'm going to go hide in the corner. 
of my house. And if that's not enough, I'm going to put a blanket over me. They want to cut themselves off from other people, but we need friends. We need companions as we go through life. Listen, listen, and, and, and especially in a church family. You know what? This, this was so fascinating to me. James 5 and verse 17 says that Elijah was a man who was subject to like passions as we are. Right? And what do we find him doing? We find him sulking. We find him isolating himself. We find him in a place of discouragement. But you know the verse right before that one is James 5.16 that says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. That's powerful. In the very same context, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. You know what that word faults means? It's not talking about, you know, telling everybody every single sin that you've ever committed. That's not what it's talking about. But it does mean a side slip. It means a lapse in judgment. It means, it means a deviation from the course. It means an error. Confess your errors. Confess your lapses in judgment. Uh, confess your side slips one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That whole context is about prayer. But I think it's so fascinating that Elijah was a man who was subject to like passions, and this is exactly what we see him doing. And we also see that God brought somebody into his life that could be a minister to him and contribute good to him. In order to confess your faults or your errors or your lapses in judgment or your deviations from the right course, in order to confess those things one to another, it requires some humbling. You got to humble yourself to open yourself up to other people. Usually, we're afraid to do that. Or we're too proud to admit that, hey, we're actually human. And we actually struggle with things, just like everybody else does. Right? I don't want people to know the things I'm struggling with on the inside. It might make me look less spiritual than I really want to be. It might let people know that I'm actually human and I struggle. And oh, come to find out, hey, they do too. Imagine that. Imagine that. But we don't, we don't want to open ourselves up. We don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to say hey, you know what? There's something that's in my life that I am struggling with very deeply. I can't seem to, I can't seem to get victory over it. It's causing, it's causing grief in my life. It brings me down. It brings me to a place of discouragement. And all of a sudden, if we'll just humble ourselves and we'll talk to one another and we'll open ourselves up, we'll find that, you know what, there's so much encouragement there because people can actually really understand because we've walked the same path before, too. We need that. 
That's the point. We need that. Because we can't bear burdens alone. Elijah couldn't bear the burden alone. And God gave him somebody, a companion, to contribute good to him. Having companions are a blessing. What a blessing to have someone to confide in. What a blessing to have a friend who hurts with you. What a blessing to have a friend who will help you bear life's load, who's going to pray with you, who's going to cry with you. Even when they don't understand exactly what's going on, they're still going to love you. What a blessing. Having a companion is not only a blessing, having a companion is also a guardrail. And what do I mean by that? What are guardrails? What are they for? In the windy roads of Alaska, you see them all over the place, don't you? You start driving out the steep highway and you start getting up in the elevation and the road starts turning and you find at those sharp corners, you find guardrails. What are they for? They're not there to prevent an accident from happening. They're there to prevent a disaster from happening. You're coming down that 12-degree slope, and you hit that corner, and the roads are icy, and you're starting to slide. You're really thankful that that guardrail is there, aren't you? Because it, you might have an accident, and you might beat your car up, but that guardrail keeps you from going over the cliff. It's there to prevent a disaster. But you know what? Companions are guardrails. Certainly, certainly, certainly we need that kind of ministry in our life. We need that human interaction. And we ought to resolve to ask God to, to, to put somebody in my life who can help me to be accountable to the Lord, who can help me to stay on the right path, on the right track, because having a companion is, is there to help me uh, 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 from a disaster from happening. When you're all alone, there's no one to pull you back. Two are better than one. Ecclesiastes 4 says, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I just imagine the ministry that Elisha had in Elijah's life. And I think about companions and how they can be such a help, especially, especially when we go through the hard things. Depression, discouragement, all of those things don't have to continue to exist when we have real companions who can help sharpen and lift us up. Amen? Two things real quick. Number one, you ought to cherish the godly friendships that you have if you have them. You ought to treat them like gold. Don't walk on, a, on each other. You ought to cherish them if you have them. But secondly... You ought to seek to be that kind of a friend. You ought to seek really hard to be that kind of a friend. You know what? You cannot be that kind of a friend if all you think about is yourself. 
and your own issues and your own problems. Don't be a drag. Don't be a drain on others. Be the uplifting, the helping, the encouraging, the strengthening kind. Amen? Because we all need it. Look at Psalm 119 with me and I'll close up here, finish up. Psalm 119. Verse 63. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. That word companion basically has the idea of being knit together. I'm knit together with what kind? All those that fear thee and those that keep thy precepts. So we have a connection here of what is it that knits us together. It's the fear of the Lord, and it's those who obey the Lord's God's word. You follow that? You see that? Those are the kind that I'm knit together with. But then look at verse 74. Verse 74 says, They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. You know what? Others who fear the Lord, they're not, my life isn't going to drag them down. They're going to be glad when they see me, because I've hoped in the Lord. I've hoped in thy word. My life isn't a drag to somebody else. They're happy when they see me because, listen, we got the same goal, to fear God, to obey his word. This is what really knits us together. This is what real companions will do. We're accountable to each other, to grow in the Lord, to grow in his word, to encourage one another, to not let each other slip. And if we do, we're there to bear the burden, but I'm going to call you on the carpet. We're going to help each other stay on the right track. Amen? The right track, of course, is fear of the Lord, obedience to God's word. And I just think it was exactly what Elijah needed. The Lord knew that. Elijah was, was discouraged. He was defeated. He thought his ministry was done. He thought God was done with him. Just let me die. But the Lord pulled him up out of that discouragement. He gave him a new commission. Obey. The, obey. Here, I got a job for you to do. He gave him new comfort. Elijah, you're not alone. Don't believe those lies that you're telling yourself. You're not alone in this. And he gave him a new companion. Somebody that would walk with him. And I find those are the very same things or principles that we really need in our life as well. Amen. As this chapter in Elijah's life comes to an end, we find that Elijah is now well on the road to recovery. He's back. He's serving God again. Amen. The Lord's ministry in his life delivered him from the brink of death. It delivered him from disaster. Thank the Lord for that. But it becomes a great example for us because maybe there's some who need that ministry here. You might be discouraged. You might be defeated about something. You might have even wandered off somehow 
like Elijah did. Maybe the Lord's saying to you, what are you doing here? This is not what I've called you to. This is not where I want you to be. Some great applications, some great lessons for us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would use this to be an encouragement. Maybe there's some who have always felt intimidated or afraid to open themselves up and they felt alone in their burdens, in their temptations, in their struggles, their trials, not knowing where to turn, how to get help, and just the idea of having a companion, somebody who understands. And we have to trust that even if they've never walked in the exact same shoes, it doesn't mean they don't understand. And it doesn't mean that they can't be an encouragement or a help. The real issue is humbling ourselves. The real issue is opening up, being willing to confess those faults that you may be healed. Having friends that pray for each other, Lord, we need this so much. Elijah needed this. I'm thankful that you've given us this example in the scriptures, and Lord, help us to, number one, cherish those friendships, but then number two, to seek to be that kind of a friend. Lord, to not be so involved with our own life that we can't ever be of use or contribute good, minister to other people. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us tonight and Lord, that you grow our church and move us forward. And Lord, there might be some who feel they can't be used of the Lord or they're of no use, no good anymore because of some mess up. Lord, help us to see the grace of God, the mercy of God, the faithfulness of God. And Lord, there's always hope for the humble heart. We praise you for these truths. Use them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can look this way.